let's uh, let's let's get started. And the earth was void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. So I'm Nate. I'm the husband of but one wife and the father of six. Um, and I'm headmaster of a three-campus school and vicar of a bilingual mission. And I'm here today. You'll, you'll figure out why any of that, if it does, matters here in a minute. But I'm here today with Tim Wu in praise of mediocrity. You've heard about mediocrity from one of our speakers. I was delighted he introduced that for me. So Tim Wu, a Columbia professor who's written an editorial or two for the New York Times, is concerned that America is losing her hobbies. And more alarming, leisure altogether. To blame, and I quote, we are afraid of being bad at them. If you're a jogger, it is no longer enough to cruise around the block. You're training for the next marathon. And if you're a painter, you are no longer passing a pleasant afternoon, just you and your watercolors and your water lilies. You are trying to land a gallery show or at least garner a respectable social media following. <laughs> Great. When your identity is linked to your hobby, you're a yoy, a surfer. Uh, a rock climber. You'd better be good at it or else who are you? Lost right here is the gentle pursuit of modest competence. The doing of something just because you enjoy it. The pursuit of excellence has infiltrated and corrupted our hobbies in a way that we rarely appreciate. The demands of excellence are at war with what we call freedom. For to permit yourself to do only that which you are good at is to be trapped in a cage whose bars are not steel, but self-judgment, close quote. Mm -hmm. mm. Now add to that pressure, there's the pressure, pressure of excellence, add to that pressure the uh, pathological character, oh by the way, there's Timothy Wu. <laughs> Add to that pressure, the pathological character of human beings toward excess. Sam Anderson, the, uh, the author of best-selling Boomtown, what's up Oklahoma? The fantastical saga of Oklahoma City, wrote the following in the New York Times Magazine, and I quote, sometimes things can get out of hand. In the NBA's slam dunk contest one year, a contestant dunked over a mystery object draped in black that he revealed afterward to be a painting of himself dunking over a painting of himself dunking. <laughs> or Nero, infamous emperor of Rome, built a rotating dining room in which guests, there it is, my friends, guests could eat peacock while flower petals fluttered down from special panels in the ivory ceiling. The writer Taolin once wrote a poem in which he repeated the line, the next night we eat whale, for nearly three minutes. 
This is one of humanity's most charming and maddening traits, our invincible instinct for excess. We cannot just enjoy a nicely proportioned home with snazzy decorations. We have to produce Versailles. We cannot appreciate a lovely morning bird. We have to describe it as Gerard Manley Hopkins did, as a dapple down drawn falcon. We can't enjoy the Snake River Canyon without some daredevil eventually dressing in an American flag costume and trying to fly over it on a hybrid rocket cycle. Close quote. Now, one more to add to my intro. I added this at about 11.50 last night. Panic at the disco. <laughs> they just released a song called High Hopes on their Pray for the Wicked um, album. And this is a favorite song of at least two teenagers in the room. Here are the lyrics. So bottle this up and drink it, teenagers. Had to have a high, high hopes for a living. Shooting for the stars when I couldn't make a killing. Didn't have a dime, but I always had a vision. Always had high, high hopes. Had to have high, high hopes for a living. Didn't know how, but I always had a feeling I was going to be that one in a million always had high, high hopes. Mama said, not singing, <laughs> fulfill the prophecy, be something greater, go make a legacy, manifest destiny. Back in the days, we wanted everything, wanted everything. Mama said, burn your biographies, rewrite your history, light up your wildest dreams, museum victories every day. We wanted everything, wanted everything. Mama said, don't give up. It's a little complicated, all tied up, no more love. And I can see when I had to have high, high hopes for a living. Which makes me think that Tim Wu multiplied by Sam Anderson uh, divided by, you know, the cube root of panic at the disco equals quite a lot of anxiety in this life. One response I found online to this is ever so quickly anecdotal to uh, Panic at the Disco. Quote, I went too long not setting my expectations high enough. Worried about how it felt to fail. I hit a point when I realized I had to aim high and fail, fail, fail in order to keep growing. This one is for all of you who helped me go for it all, and I thank you. That was from a kiddo that was responding to this, this song. All right, let's get to the schedule ever so briefly. So six days a week, my oldest daughter, 14, spends two hours a day after school yelling instructions to varsity men and women in a boat. She's a coxswain. That's after five days a week at school in downtown Oklahoma City. She has at least two packages a week that need mailing from her bead business 
as well as assisting with our acolyte ministry and babysitting for most of Hipster OKC. I used to be her father, I'm now her unpaid Uber driver. The next four children all go to a different campus five days a week. Honor, my 12-year-old, has piano on Wednesdays after school, knitting club on Fridays. I love that. Esther has private art lessons on Fridays. Oh, evening prayers on Tuesdays. Areta has to be back, or at least she used to it. Corporate rowing on Tuesdays till 8. Let's see. Ian, our youngest, has Mother's Day out on Mondays and Thursdays at All Souls, while his mom bakes gluten-free confections, a commonplace, and handmade cookies at a home business. This all takes place after my wife bakes at the restaurant every morning from 5 to 6. Ezra and Olive are learning to read, really more Olive, so count me down for three books a night there. Esther's learning Latin, holy moly. Honor and Esther now acolyte as well, and Honor has at least two lawns that he mows for extra money, which means we get to transgress the Sabbath day routinely. I'm trying to fit that one in. Four of these sweet peas suffer from night owl syndrome and read well into the night, leaving me and my wife about six minutes of alone time each evening between 11.01 p.m. and 11.07 p.m. during which we watch half episodes of comedians in cars. <laughs> Seinfeld continues to excel at providing us with shows about absolutely nothing, which is exactly what I need at the end of any given day. There's nothing so forceful at reminding you that you were made from nothing. As parenting, it would seem that to nothing I shall return each night. And because we're so bored, we moved out of our house six weeks ago to demolish the kitchen of our 100-year-old bungalow, or five weeks ago, whatever it is. The galley kitchen had to go along with our sanity. Oh, and the kids, they're great. I mean, sometimes they get on my nerves. Sometimes they want to talk to me. <laughs> Other times they want to play fantasy football or just tennis uh, for pleasure. The nerve of it all. Ezra, who joined his forever family, uh, once and for all, at around age two, came to us so hurt that his little mind will implode mid-activity at least three times a day. So bake that one into the schedule. Ian, who joined us at four days old, and will never meet his birth parents, just wants to be held. He, uh, uh, all the time, just wants to be held. <laughs> for some kids, meth makes them angry. For Ian, all is peace. Honor's got uh, surgery scheduled here in a few months, some general prep for that. All of us now on four supplements a day. We're going to get her blood count up, figure that one in as well. I, the list is immaterial, right? I, you, sort of, you, you sort of write it all down so you can have a good laugh. The number of children is completely insignificant. We have felt completely overwhelmed, really, since the third um, change my details for your own. Parenting is exhausting. Parenting is pressured by excellence. Thank you, Tim Wu. And parenting has now been hijacked by material and scheduling excess. Thank you, Sam Anderson. Anderson, excuse me. All right. Notes are out of order here. You may remember that I run a school. 
get back on track here. Which means I spend more time with parents than anyone else in this room. <laughs> we, we, we have about 400 families uh, in this school. So I'm going to add up all these pressures into four um, results and kind of summarize briefly and then tell a story. Oh yeah, thank you. Here's the picture of those six sweepies that just detailed the lines. Oh. Yay! <laughs> Carefully curated, excellent picture from Florida. <laughs> so that we too are magazine worthy. <coughs> Everyone smile as if you love it. So, these pressures, as I was saying, seem to thank you. Areta. There's more. You know what Areta's ministry in my life is. I'm sure you're beginning to realize. These pressures seem uh, to have added up really to something like this. Number one, parents who feel, these are, this, is, this is more or less a quote. Parents who feel, they tell me this, the effects of a Christianity that they perceive as being increasingly on the defensive. And so there's this panic to overcompensate for that. That's, that's, that is number one in summarizing some of these concerns. Number two, parents who, in the wake of a more uh, secularized culture, sometimes misunderstand a compulsive hyperactivity. Kind of think of your helicopter mom, though I have a a growing list of dads who are um, increasingly willing to uh, fulfill the same office, right? No, no, no one's picking on the moms here today. But kind of picture that, this compulsive hyperactivity, they misunderstand that as some form of Christian discipleship. That's the way that mm. discipleship is going to, mm. to take place. So there's the confessional there for you. Number three, parents really so numbed by the publicity and in some cases the politicization of child abuse that they absolutely side with the child over and against any adult maybe in some cases really not even knowing why but in doing so even in circumstances perfectly innocent they're losing yet another ally and really a source of respite in the process because they don't they don't see a teacher as in the same partnered way so that, that's another, that, that may be the most quotable law. I may be hearing from, about that one more often than not. And then finally, parents who have been robbed of the simplicity of home life, resulting in formal structures still being largely in place. So at the academy, right, we typically have two parent homes. So those formal structures are largely in place that we see being sort of the best circumstance for the rearing of a child, but homes that they describe as lacking sort of the unhurried simplicity, some of the basic spiritual rhythms that catalyze the home as a, as a primary place for Christian discipleship. Several of my parents have told me, for example, um, that they feel, and so clearly they feel the pressure. If you're, if you're even going to say that you feel the pressure, I need to be reading the Bible with my kids. They feel as they, have, they, they, they no longer have time to read the Bible with their, their children, therefore they're going to leave it to us. There's just not time today. And you have my kids for seven hours. Can you guys, like, bake that in? So, so anyway, the school, so there's four 
summary things I'm seeing in and out of my my office all day every day. I, I wouldn't have a job if mom guilt did not exist. I would not have a job if the pressures of excellence, as I was saying, and the, the, the perfectly curated child, and the pressures of of scheduling excess did not exist. So I'm constantly providing counsel. Now, the school gave me a sabbatical a few months ago, which means that for the first time in the life of my children, I would drive away after dropping them off at school. And drive, drive away, I work at school, right? So I drive away to read and to write and to conceive of world domination and to <laughs> sleep and to drink cortados with sage and to hang out with Fernando who's <coughs> remodeling my kitchen. <laughs> so the big question this year was Ezra, my number five. Um, oh, look you at those. So <laughs> look at all those points I was spelling I out. I didn't know I made a slide. There he is, friends. That's who I'm looking for. My number five. So, pre-K was different than preschool. Naps in pre-K are logged like quarters in a car wash, rather than allowing the ebb and flow of sleep cycles in between sandbox time and preschool. And that, the, uh, the old, the old uh, car wash uh, level of control, if you will, that level of control does numbers to this little, little negotiating brain. And then, on top, top of that, there was number and letter recognition as brought with him into our family a torn retina through no fault of his own, and he patches eight hours a day. How is that going to go down? And could the kid even see straight? And would he know if he couldn't? I, one thing was for certain, though. Uh, any frustration in Ez is a little bit revisited upon the world in some of the same frustration, sometimes rage, that he absorbed in his early displacement. And he's the head. So all, all hands on deck for my precious, precious little love. So here we go into day one of school. First up, erase the particulars for the most observant kid ever. We need new shoes so he doesn't have to think about shoes. As he's constantly obsessing and thinking about everything. He's everything. He's this beautiful picture of of me, of compulsion, that you get on a small scale so you can see what it really actually feels like. So new shoe, we gotta erase that. Cool lunchbox, so we don't have to think about the lunchbox. Killer new glasses, so we got, we, we're, we're, looking, we're looking sharp. And then all of the lunch favorites that will make eating the lunch rather than just thinking about the lunch achievable inside of 29 minutes or less. All right, so that's number, step number one. We're ready. Step two. Meet the teacher, counsel with the principal, install a red bat phone in counselor's office, buy an extra bottle of gin and say your prayers. <laughs> Gin's for her. 
<laughs> Step two, I was getting ready for pre-K. Number three, get to school early, meet the teacher, walk around for 30 minutes, high-five friends, show them where the bathroom is, let them play with the light switch for 20 of the 30 minutes. Step four, sneak out, say your prayers again. And sneak out. Okay. I hadn't had my sage cortado for more than five minutes when the phone call came. I, I was perfectly furious and annoyed, um, which is terribly embarrassing, a little out of character, and perfectly honest. So, no one gets to ruin an otherwise perfect start to school in the middle of my Pennsylvania roasted coffee paired with hand ground blue corn donuts and new Yosef Peeper book. Ezra was going down. <laughs> love or tough love, some lessons need to be learned already. So, back to school I trotted. I found him holding hands with the principal when I walked in the middle school hallway of all places. Uh, which, so he, in my mind, privilege comes of distraction. Hmm. Guess where I'm heading. Oh, we got to go to middle school after clocking the kid in the nose, right? All right. He was helping deliver mail as part of his growth in grace after clobbering a kid in the playground. Ezra, I said in a foreboding, maybe forbidding tone. His head dropped, come with me. <laughs> and I let him have it. I threatened heaven and earth and every dessert until he was 46 years old to be taken away. You'll never go outside again. I'm gonna smash the laptops in our house to pieces and Netflix along with him and you'll eat eggplant for the rest of your life. <laughs> and I marched him back to class without so much as a high five, demanded an apology of him. I'll teach you, buddy, to his teacher, and then soldiered on to begin addressing my cold cortado. <laughs> now I could get back to reading about freaking faith, hope, and love. <laughs> that was the name of the book, Waiting Up. Oh, man. Well, that night, as needed about six other things addressed as well, he has gifts for making certain situations as complicated as they can possibly be. Because he's distracted. He has a certain interest in love for every detail of life. And that is not convenient. So at dinner, he demanded to pray over and against his little sis, and so we lovingly teeth clenched, grab hands around the table to say our prayers to Almighty God. And then his little reactive heart became the source of a peace that he could never give by his lonesome, honestly a peace that he rarely experiences. So uh, he took apathy. He was seated right over here. I'm not pointing you on it. And he took irritation, he was sitting here, and he, and he took self-righteousness, he was sitting right here. And he thanked God for us by name. 
everyone at the table, to everyone's annoyance, eh? And then it's it's every food group, and thank you for the, I mean, this is, oh, man. He thanked God for school, the very school that uh, had, uh, had some concerns about his day. And in bed, he went uh, to his rest, perfectly at peace with the world, as I restlessly calculated how to get even more time out of tomorrow. All right, so Ezra's Bible memory verse that week came from Genesis. And he recited often for us, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. There is nothing sentimental about God's exploding a world into existence. And I honestly find nothing sentimental about parenting either. But I do find it hopeful. For out of dark and chaotic waters, a three-story house was formed. The heavens above, the earth beneath, and the waters under the earth. And into that three-story house, God put badgers and seaweed and five-year-olds who cannot see very well. You pair that with Pauline grace, and we might even make it through parenting. Let me quote some Paul for you. This is from Ephesians chapter 5. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. As you are being rooted and grounded in love, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ever ask or imagine to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever Parenting is exhausting. Parenting is pressured by excellence. And parenting has now been hijacked by material and scheduling excess. And that's before we incorporate any of the personalities involved. Our children, especially the personalities who have no interest in a moment of any of because they only have interest in the beautiful distractions set right before them, whether it's green beans or grasshoppers. And then somewhere in that hot mess, we want Jesus love and Bible reading, justice marching kids to fall out on the other side. What I've learned in the end we must be very, very patient with people. 
and very, very patient with your babies. You need to be patient with yourself and the expectations of any given day. It is the very essence of grace. Your identity is in no way bound up with the relative success of your kids. If you never post the beach photos on Instagram, if you never fit into the Lululemon size of your wildest fantasies, <laughs> if your life is the opposite of curating, if it is, I want your Instagram account so I can feel understood. If you still secretly feed your children things filled with gluten and chemicals from the drive through windows of America, or if you're the kind that judges in your heart others for feeding their children Duncan instead of superfood shots, rest assured your identity was never bound up in any of that anyway. Your identity is bound up with grace, grace, and only grace. As one mockingbird writer has said, from any outsider's perspective, an act of grace is a moral outrage. You want to meet my moral outrage? There he is. Grace seems to satirize the rule book. It's a joke. It seems to negate the importance of fairness, justice, and in my case, of getting things done. But it is there in hot mess grace that I would argue with Hopkins, the guy earlier quoted, the, the, the poet, that there lives the dearest freshness deep down things right there. I want to end with this and let you guys comment or, or, or complain. I remember to cue. George Herbert found the same gospel controversy several centuries ago in rural England. And I would not be. Oh, there was the passage we read. Wow. I would not be a good master of a school of classics if I didn't read. So here's Love 3. Love bade me welcome, and yet my soul drew back guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew near to me, uh, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I? The unkind and grateful, oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame, my dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. And I would add postscript with Ezra. <laughs> um, there it is, a few reflections on how to experience grace 
in this world of distracted parenting. So I, I don't know if you have questions, comments, uh, concerns, or other, but I'd love to hear from you or tell your own stories or fully disagree or pick at something. Fully disagree. Why do you still have that very complicated schedule? That is really fair. So, right, Scott Johnson uh, laughed out loud when he heard the title of my talk. Um, he said, won't that be, won't it be funny to hear you give a talk on how to experience grace? Which is, which is totally fair. On the one hand, There are certain scheduling pressures that are a result of the number of children. This, this, is, this is just one example. And so in my own heart as a parent, I have not the will nor the way forward of discerning who gets priority when each has several interests. And so... Um, a little bit, my, my, a lot bit, my wife takes the full blow of that, of saying yes to everything. There are moments where um, there, there, it, is, it is exceedingly, I mean, you know, sort of tempting uh, to back away from it all. I do, I do think that you can experience grace um, at a deep, deep level in the quiet hours of exhaustion. Um, and perhaps a, mo a more profound grace there than anywhere else. But it's, it's a very good question, particularly for the children in the back seat, I suppose. We'll get to ask Ian the question someday, so what is it like? He's the tail end of this mess. Yeah, I don't know where to start, and I'm winding it off, friend. feel very cold on the carpet. Um, as compulsive as they come, really. I, I really appreciate, and this has been the thing in all the talks so far, and especially what you just said. It's all law. All that scheduling, and hyper, it's all law. That's what Paul was talking about. That's how Paul relates to my life now. I'm not worried about the Mosaic law, but Man, that's all law. And it's condemning and it's anxiety producing and it's it is depressing. You know. I really appreciate bringing that home. I feel if you fill your world with expectations that smell an awful lot like law, the only possibility, the only outcome, spiritual outcome, is self-judgment um, because you will fail so very often and you'll get to apologize to your babies which is its own grace it's so good to apologize to your babies maybe, that, maybe that's the other maybe that's the other result and parent, that's, maybe that's why parenting is so complicated actually is that um any failures 
the repercussions of those failures immediately fa fall upon your children, which seem to make the stakes all the more high in your mind, which makes self-judgment all the more likely as an outcome. And now you're in a, uh, a grief, grief-laden cycle. And then you sort of nurse your wounds as, as parents, rather than nursing the wounds of one another along the way. So, I agree, friend. It's all law. Others, or? I have another question, but I don't want to, don't want to your, your third thing about what you deal with with parents, it was something about they're numb by the politis politicization of child abuse. What, what was the side of the child? What did that mean? So, and I don't even know fully what it means except to say, here we go. Um, this was an exercise in empathy, this whole thing for me. It, right, empathy, empathy invariably leads to hospitality. So if I'm going to be a host to these parents, Rather than being frustrated by them, I want to be an ally in, um, in assisting them. So you could say the publicity on the one hand, but now it has become a source. It's, it's, a, it's a politicized thing, but now requires requires often science, a, a, a sort of a partisan approach. And so these little fissures are running through school cultures as you, as you sort of size this animal up. So child abuse is no joke. This is chief hours of, of, of counseling and training and certifications on their team. None of that. I'm mean, going to be taking it very seriously. But um, anything public cuts both ways. You, you get them. You get. You finally get the exposure needed to bring it to light, right? But then it becomes something that now, that now um, reigns supreme in your thought life. This is now something mixing in their lives that, not even, that even at the, in, the, in the early years of the school was not there. I mean, the school's about 13 years old. So, that they, so now what I see, and parents will say, I will always side with my child no matter what he or she says, right? Um, over and against the adult. And sometimes they don't even know why. I mean, this thing, that can be a very devoted thing to a child. But what I've seen is in so doing, um, assu never assuming the best in the teacher, always assuming the worst. Sometimes you need to assume the worst. I'm not calling out a question. I'm just saying, in so doing, they're always committed to that, they lose yet another ally and source of respite in the process. Rather than viewing the teacher as a partner, there's no possible way that everything that honor needs in life could ever come from me. And so I'm, you know, I want to build my, my bench of allies on his behalf and let them um, instruct him in all that is grace and all that is mercy. And, and so many parents have lost allies. We sort of see. So anyway, I, just, I, I've, I included that say so there may be some grace in, in, in welcoming the teacher with the karate teacher and with the Sunday school teacher 
as part of the sacred trust of grace-filled grace parenting so that you don't feel the pressure alone and crying with them. And then right, right, I would flip that on my head to my teachers and say, how do you build a world, a universe of hospitality for every mom? In fact, the mom who yells at you the most should probably have the biggest box of Kleenexes when you finally get through her. That's the mom you need to partner with most deeply. Uh, and dad, for that matter. And so we've done this, this year's entire theme was toward a philosophy of hospitality at the school. Um, trying to build well constructed bridges of mercy with our parent community because of the exposure that they feel. If your, cho- if your child is not clothed right, fed perfectly, um, with the proper after-school grooming at the right places, all of which can be amazing things. I mean, I feel the pressure of all those things. But the, that, that cloud has now robbed many of parents of Joy. Right? There's a you know, this is sort of my free associative mind. There's a lot of work being done on acedia right now, the sin of acedia, the books coming out. Which is, is, is sloth, but the, but sloth I think better defined as um, a, a certain intellectual indifference that overcompensates for its indifference by compulsive hyperactivity by working, right? The opposite of acedia is not industriousness or diligence. The opposite of acedia is joy. So people are falling into acedia while still compulsively working around the clock, which means they've lost joy. There's some connections, I think. That, that's that's kind of washing up on the shores of my my school desk. Such a good question. Comment. Everybody else good? I think I'm too dumb. What is acedia? What is acedia? Acedia is the it's one of the seven deadly sins. It's sloth. Oh. But more so it's, it's, But when you oh, say the word sloth, people kind of start feeling you know pictures, couch potato, watching. Yeah all nine seasons of The Office for the ninth time. Um, you know, potato chips on the couch. And that's but like one small iteration of this otherwise um, universal sin. It has many expressions. And I think that you're far more likely to find someone whose who's expressed sin of acedia is indifference. They're perfectly overwhelmed. Um, which means, when I say indifference, that also sounds, okay, indifference meaning you, you simple joy has been robbed. You're indifferent, you're complacent to the world, and so you fill it with duties. Right? So Ezra is the opposite of Assyria. He is 
perfectly at home with with the world as it's presented in front of him from ground, which is mind-numbingly difficult to get through a day because of that. He's perfectly preoccupied with these little things. So in my mind, he's like solved a seed. But 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 anyway, when when you when you've when you've moved into that complacent place of sloth in your thinking, at least in America, you fill it with a to-do list. It's crazy. You'd think the opposite. That's not what happens. You fill it. That's a seed. Sloth. The sin of sloth. But it's, man, it's multi-headed. It's a... Is it a basilisk that has multiple heads? Hydra. It's a hydra. Sloth is a hydra. (laughs) Okay, here's my wife. All right, now the. I loved it. Oh, okay. Every sword has two sides. Every decision that you make. If I'm going to stamp out certain features of my little Ezzy's personality to make arriving to school on time more achievable, more convenient, maybe it's just honestly a matter of convenience. I don't even know that it's cheap. We seem to sort of pull up with our hair on fire every day. The, um, it feels convenient. There, though, those those features that are now very effective in keeping a certain level of convenience. You sort of kid yourself into this. They'll never return. Or they will return only under great effort on his part much later in life. And I assume that he will despise me for it. Uh, honestly. I have no self judgment. I, I would expect that he would despise what the moment he realizes that certain preoccupations were were were, were, were given were stamped out of his life for the sake of my that that will be returned to me. The, the other side of that sword will be returned. There's grace available there as well. There's no, 
There's no amount of swordsmanship that's not covered with your full identity being bound up in grace. But, it's, but you just need to know that it's going to happen. There'll be grace available, don't, but don't kid yourself. There's not, but that's not going to show up somewhere. Somewhere down the road in his little life um, when he fell under the thumb of Nacar. That's going to come. And grace will be available for our relationship if, if and when that happens. But in the meantime, I don't need to think that what grace looks like is that thing never happening. That's not what grace necessarily is. It will happen. It could happen. I've never kidded myself in thinking it would never happen. I'd say, you're a tough dad. I say, yes, I was a tough dad. And the reason that your attack is applicable to more than just me here at Ezra is because right parenting is about embracing your children's personalities, whether they match or whether they match yours, or that, like, it's recognizing, you know, this one needs a chat at 10 p.m., and this one, you know, like, it's recognizing those and putting your own, your own desire for how the day is going to go aside. Yeah, I'm not trying to pick on Ez. He's... Uh, next talk about Areta. Be here next year. <laughs> Not <laughs> I need my boundaries with you. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you for coming. So the Norris book, what's yeah. that one? Kathleen Norris. So Kathleen Norris. Cedia and me. And there was another one that I've not read, friends, but it was just put out. Let me see if I can. Nathan, I have her definition of a Cedia written down, so I'm reading that book. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, well, it's her. Read it to you. Oh, yeah. This is, uh, and I just, it's in the first several chapters. She, in the beginning of the book, said, and I wrote this down, the absence of care, a person afflicted by acedia refuses to care or is incapable of doing so. When life becomes too challenging and engagement with others too demanding, acedia offers a kind of spiritual morphine. You know the pain is there, yet you can't rouse yourself to give a damn. And it's futility and indifference. So. It's kind of this thing, and, and she talks about it, it, it comes over you. It, 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 it's, uh, and it's more than just sloth. Uh, it, there's, there's, there's more to it than that. And that's part of what she's trying to say in the book. But I can't tell you much more, because I'm still in like chapter four. And there's, Thank you. Yeah. This is my mom. It's huge. Anyway, if that helps a little. Yes, here's the book that was recommended by a. a, a uh, Professor at the, at the high school. It's called the Noonday uh, the Noonday Devil, Acedia, yeah. the Unnamed Evil of Our Times by Dom Jean Charles Nott. It's Dom, father in Italian. He must be a priest, right? Or a monk. Or maybe it's a monk. Is it a monk? She spent a lot of time with monks, so that uh, she speaks a lot about the name. 
Very good. So there you go. The Noonday Devil and Acedia and Me. Those are your two that I've heard. And I know there are more. I mean, this is a... I sort of thank God for these books because they're... It's, you know, it's an unlikely candidate. You know, where we should be chastised for wanting too much. And actually, the diagnosis may be for wanting too little. C.S. Lewis wrote about that. That's the, uh, we, are, we do not, we're not wrestling against, with the modern man, uh, cutting down forests. Rather, we are irrigating deserts. So, so, so misguided. And so small are their souls. That's the unlikely sin behind that. I just find it fun. God she bless you. The, the, the biggest sin we face in Christianity today is oh, okay. this thing. Well, if you think about busyness being like almost like our malaise today, is that we're all so busy. What you're saying to me is that busyness is actually a form of acedia. Yes, yes. It's a way of not thinking, anesthetizing yourself, and and not. It's, it's too much to feel, to think, it's all these things, and so you just pour yourself into activity after activity because it's a way of distracting yourself from yourself or from God or whatever it is. I buy it. <laughs> I've never heard the term before. I think it's very interesting. And, 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 those, and those honestly dealing with the cultural fallout of that, we medicate them and judge them. We medicate and judge. Mm-hmm. And that they're the ones... I would guess you're trying to wrestle their way out of the sea. But they're, 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 that can be a dark thing. That can, that can expose a lot. That can be, that can be you know. Addiction could be an easy next step in trying to deal with the sea. You know. Et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's, 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 maybe that's another talk. But just, there's all sorts of stuff just on the other side of trying to get out from under. Book in the schedule. Book in the schedule. Well, thank you. God bless you. Take care. Thanks for coming. That's so